Give the secret handshake. Check your cloaks. And remove your tinfoil hats. This is the Illuminati Social Club. The podcast you don't want they to know about. This is bullshit. This series presents information based in part on theory and conjecture. The producer's purpose is to suggest some possible explanation, but not necessarily the only ones to the mysteries we will examine. Welcome to Season 5 of the In Search of series here on the Illuminati Social Club. I'm your host, Jason from Parma. Joining me, returning again for some strange reason, uh, currently in Tampa, Florida, Mr. Oliver Rockside. Hello, all. I'm returning because you upped my money. Oh, I mean, yeah. you know, you know, I had to sign on the dotted line for I, that. I, I, I doubled your I doubled your contract. So, yes, you did. And yes. thank you very much for that. Hey, no problem. So double of zero is uh, what again? Zero. That's right. Uh, <laughs> and from Halifax, Nova Scotia, with a tripled contract. Woohoo! He, he, what? He has a what? PhD. He has a PhD. Oh, oh uh, my God. Doc Pinko, I... Steve Cloutier. And with that tripled contract, I'm going to storm Area 51. <laughs> Well, you've got the money for it now. Exactly. Exactly. Well, hey. um, Jeez. A- actually, you might be better off storming Air, uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base instead. Yeah, that was that was. We'll get to it, but that yeah. was oh, yeah. shocking. <laughs> so, <sighs> ladies and gentlemen, we are discussing season five, episode one, UFO cover-ups. Oh and boy. <laughs> Oliver, what were your impressions of this episode? Well, you know, our last episode, I just praised season four, and this is not a good beginning <laughs> to season five. <laughs> it just isn't. Um, I did. I learned one thing during this whole episode, and apart from that. Uh, oh, yes, I'm sorry, and the turtles may be invading from outer space. That's the other thing. Um, uh, but apart from that, this thing was a dud with a capital D. Uh, Steve, your impressions? Well, I have a lot of notes, so <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if that makes it good or bad, but there's a lot of notes. My, my first note before, because I always do a note before we begin. Like, from the first, I hit play, I watch, like, the first two seconds, and then I hit pause, and I write my first impression down, and this time around, I just said, this should be good. (laughs) Good, in quotation marks. But enough of us blathering on here. Let's hear what Leonard has to say. This is the clearest film ever shot of a real unidentified flying object. 68,000 UFO reports have been filed in this country alone. Skeptics, however, pose an important question. If flying saucers are so common, why haven't we captured one? 
In a remote New Mexico desert, researchers have discovered a startling answer to that question. A persistent rumor holds that the United States government has recovered and is concealing fragments of alien spacecraft. Fragments and more. Um, just to... Just, because if you notice, there was like an abrupt like cut in there. You're welcome. I cut out like 15 seconds of really annoying music. <laughs> um, yeah, this... this Whatever that whatever this noise is in the background is just completely annoying. I think yes. they call it background music, but you know that's somebody else's opinion. Um, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt on that film in the beginning because you know the object in the film is in fact unidentified. So you know, and it it appears to be flying. So okay, it sure it's a UFO in the purest sense. That it is an object that is apparently flying and is uh, unidentified. Steve? Yeah, well, I mean, that's that's the thing, too. And they, they do this thing where they often do is he, he brings up statistics. Mm-hmm. Because if you have statistics, it can prove you right. Of course. So his, his statistic is 68,000 UFO reports in the United States alone. Uh-huh. And I'm sure there are 68,000 UFO reports. It just, However, it just proves that there's a lot of Americans who are really paranoid and are kind of delusional. But, you know. Well, not, not even necessarily that. There's just a lot of Americans seeing things in the skies mm-hmm. that they can't identify. He doesn't say how many of those 68,000 right. have been identified. <laughs> okay, that, that is true. Maybe 67,999 of them turned out to be weather balloons. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't say that. He just says there are 68,000 UFO reports. And, and that last one is swamp gas and moonlit reflections. Exactly. That, that's a reference yeah. to the SGMR podcast. Uh, Oliver, care to well, add? Well, I mean, I mean it, it's, it's true. I mean, you know, the other thing is, is that 60, we're... Uh, when he quotes that statistic, you're saying that 68,000 of them are from credible people. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. That's a that's a problemo. Um, and as for your point, uh, the start of the show, Jason, yes, it's true. It's an unidentified flying object. That does not mean that it is aliens. Right. It, may be James, it may be James Bond, Bond in his gyrocopter from, uh, you know, you only live twice. I mean, <laughs> it could be anything. Um, just because somebody can't identify something does not mean that it is of another world. Uh, I, uh, I'm, I'm probably going to go out of order here a little bit from you know, for myself. But you know, where a lot of these objects are seen are, you know, around Roswell, New Mexico, Dayton, Ohio, you know, um, and name name a place where there's a. Uh, Air Force Base, you know, there there could be, you know, uh, gover- government, uh, you know, top secret military aircraft being tested. I and mean, that's another good that's another good point you bring up. Doesn't Sorry, the government, you know, for for the for the purposes of national security, have the right to, uh, you know, kind of keep some stuff under wraps. Well, the funny thing is, is that, you know, and also that 68,000 thing, you know, 
or 65,000 of them from West Virginia. <laughs> I mean, that could be, that could be another little point. But think about, think, think about just when this was done in 1980, mm-hmm. think about the development of the stealth of the B2. Oh yeah. Okay. They must've started. When did the B2 come out? Uh, 88? 88. Yeah. Okay. Um, that had to and be 30, Harrier, and, at least 30 years in development. Right. And the Harrier Jump Jack came out before yeah. that, right, Steve? Yep. Um, which is what they keep on going on about. I kept on going through this whole episode. I'm going, Harrier Jump Jet, people. Harrier Jump Jet. <laughs> uh, it could be all of those things. Mm-hmm. Again, just reinforcing the fact that just because you can't identify it doesn't mean it is from another planet. <laughs> and, and the thing is, those planes, those those kinds of planes are so unusual looking. Mm-hmm. That if you see it, you you won't recognize it as an airplane. You say that that can't be an airplane. Well, of course not, because the design is so alien. Right, is so yeah. alien to what we're used to mm-hmm. that it doesn't look like an airplane. Uh, I think I think that's pun intended. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> uh, so next clip, I think we're talking about we're talking about a famous project in a book that happens to be blue. Well, the Air Force position is that we investigated UFOs for 22 years, over 12,000 sightings. Colonel Don Burgrave, U.S. Air Force. About 95% of all the UFOs were explainable. They were weather phenomenon, they were balloons, they were airplanes, they were lightning. And we concluded as a result of our investigations, which was carried out very scientifically, that one, there was no threat to the security of the United States, and there was no evidence that we could ever locate that an extraterrestrial vehicle had landed here. I think we found our first nominee for Voice of Reason. Yes, okay. very early. Of course, he's yes. a of course he's a PR guy for the Air Force. So you know, take that for what you will. Sure. No. <laughs> um, so they go into Project Blue Book, which is the. Uh, it was the Air Force uh, project, to use, you know, uh, that investigated the reports of UFOs, um, most of which turned out to be explainable. So, you know, they're, so they go from being UFOs to being IFOs or IOs. Yeah, because sometimes they're not even flying. They just right. look like Mm-hmm. Um, and it also inspired 11-year-old Steve Cloutier's favorite TV show. Really? Project UFO. Ooh. <laughs> oh, and I thought it would have been Star Lost. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a little bit after, after that. I, I think I've used this on the on the show before, ta- you know, when we go into UFOs and stuff. But because they, you know, why why do so many people see UFOs? Um, I think it comes out of, you know, this time, you know, we starting in like the late forties, we had just entered the atomic age and the space age, you know, you start having these concerted efforts to make it into space. And so everything on TV is, is science fiction. Uh, you know, you have Buck Rogers and, um, oh, Name some of the other old stuff from the 1950s, people. I can't think of any. Well, uh, we had the, the day the day the, the air stood still um, was yeah. was 52, 53. Mm-hmm. You had Captain yeah, Video. You had I mean, you just had all these. 
you know, everything was space related and, you know, alien related because, you know, hey, th- this is the, you know, this is the zeitgeist at the time. Mm-hmm. So, of course, people are going to start seeing more UFOs. I mean, you had what? War of the Worlds. When when was War of the Worlds? Well, the original novel was 1895, but uh, 1933 was the radio broadcast. Mm -hmm. So, okay, that that was a little early, but, you know, you still, you know, now now you, you know, well, couple that with, you know, dropping a couple of atomic bombs, uh, a space race, you you know, well, using... Using rockets for something other than the destruction of another nation, uh, you know, like going up into space. And, you know, you had the makings of, you know, a phenomenon. Yeah, definitely. And, and the Second World War really stimulated the uh, advancement of technology, too, mm-hmm. right, for the very reasons that you said. So, you know, by 1946, 1947, the American government, the American military in particular, um, was very adept at creating new technologies mm-hmm. because they had to be in for the war, right? For the war, you know, their their knowledge of things like you know the atomic the atomic structure, all that kind of stuff, increased exponentially, mm-hmm. but in, in during the Second World War, and so suddenly, not only do you have this sort of interest in space, but you have militaries who are testing brand new equipment. Mm-hmm. And, and know, don't for- people can misidentify. And, and don't forget, you know, post-World War II, now you have two countries fighting for the high ground. Yeah. Because you got the Cold War starting to, well, heat up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you know, you have the Cold War starting. And now, you know, so now you have U- the U.S. and the Soviet Union trying to try- trying to fight for the highest possible uh, position. Yeah. Oliver, anything to add here? Well, I think the one thing, and maybe Steve can address this from a cultural point of view, is that, um, you know, with the advancement of film, um, we got to see our enemies. Mm-hmm. We got we got to see the Russians. We got to see the Nazis. And I think part of this was that people needed another unseen enemy. Um, I think that was part of it as well, um, is that humans, one of the quirky things about humans is that we, as mammals, we are pattern seeking. Yes. Yeah. And if we seek, we if we find out a pattern, we seek another one. Mm-hmm. And this, this to me, I mean, Steve can probably speak a little bit better to this than I can, but... That to me, I think, was a small part of it. Not a not a great big part of it, but I think that was everybody always. Well, we see it now with all this deep state garbage. Yep. People somehow want to see, want to have an unknown enemy mm-hmm. or an unseen yeah. enemy. Yes, I don't know what it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean there's, there was also at the, at the time sort of what what we in sort of cultural studies refer to as as a cultural anxiety, hmm. and that's sort of like a society that has a particular unease or fear of a certain thing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and one of the things, because of the creation of the Cold War, because they're, the Americans in particular, but not just the Americans, the Canadian, it was going through in Canada as well, there was a real fear of 
Soviet infiltration, Soviet spies. We saw that yeah. in the McCarthy era. Right. And then so suddenly there are all these strange things in the sky. And so that sort of cultural anxiety about um, the Soviets gets transferred to the UFOs mm. as well. I'm not saying that that there was there was an anxiety about the Soviet Union, but because it's already in people's minds, right? When suddenly there seems to be evidence that we're being invaded again, <laughs> this time by uh, aliens, it's easy for people to make that leap. Aliens. Um, I, I just had to do my Giorgio uh, <laughs> imitation over here. Um, so yeah. Uh, Great, you know, great conversation there. Uh, now we meet uh, Peter Gersten, who is apparently a lawyer. Uh, he sued the CIA and the FBI for UFO documents. And he claims that UFOs can interfere with Earth, Earth-based technology. Of course, this is based on the reports, you know, based on statements in the reports from people claiming that uh, you know, the UFO that they saw outside their window, you know, caused their toaster to go on the fritz or something. <laughs> oh. I hate it when that happens. Yeah, I know. Me too. Um, And then he claims, you know, a cover up by the government, you know, because they don't want to, I don't know, replace people's microwaves or radar ranges, whatever it is. Whatever they were calling microwaves at that time. Um. And I said it before, but, you know, I, I think the cover-ups are more protecting experimental aircraft and actual military technology. Because, as as I've also said, <laughs> this was um, the Cold War. <laughs> Can I, at this point, Jason, yes. I, I have to reiterate this. This is what always gets me about these type of things, is that <clears throat> how many secret things have come out about everything? A lot. Uh, you know, 90% of the governments in the world can't organize a sock drawer. <laughs> you, you, There's certainly not going to be able to organize a quote-unquote cover-up of this. No. So please, everybody, <laughs> stop it. You have to You have to think about what government... Governments are very unwieldy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we, we found out all kinds of stuff about, about governments because nobody ever keeps their mouths shut. Of course not. You know, and it's it's. I mean, on the on the day of the recording tomorrow, uh, as of the day of this recording, we're we're going to find out much more about people who don't know, who, who again can't shut up about anything, right? And it's going to be another thing about about a cover up and conspiracies. Mm-hmm. Governments can't do this, right? They just can't. Uh, so let's move on here. This is only our third clip. I think I I think this uh, this episode's generated more conversation than uh, all of season four combined <laughs> so here we go for 30 years rumors have spread about wright patterson air force base according to the stories the u.s government is concealing under top security flying saucers from another world and alien bodies cryogenically suspended in huge freezers such rumors could be easily dismissed except that UFO researchers have gathered information leaked from military sources, sources who claim to have seen the craft and the bodies. 
Uh, first of all, d- does anyone else like chuckle inside or, or die a little inside whenever somebody says the words UFO researchers? <laughs> because you know that who they're talking about are nutbag conspiracy theorists. So apparently the UFO debris and the alien bodies were taken to Hangar 18 at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base in Dayton, Ohio, which uh, isn't too, too far from me. Um, there's a problem, though. According to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base and a spokesman there, there has never been a Hangar 18. <laughs> neither in the past nor in the present nor are there any plans for one in the future it there... was on a sound stage yeah <laughs> stanley kubrick yep right after right after he finished uh the the moon landing exactly by the by the way he was such a perfectionist that the only way he would stage the moon landing is if they did it on location <laughs> um and I wish I would have gotten a clip of it. But in search of cameras, we're allowed to film inside of Hangar 18. And I, I, I figure it turned out to be like a laundry room or the general or, you know, the <laughs> officer's shower area. <laughs> um, so nothing, nothing top secret was ever seen. Um, wait. Do you think that if there were secrets in Hangar 18 that the Air Force would allow uh, in search of cameras to record there? Of course. Oh, yeah. Okay. Freedom of information. Uh You know the the government. Freedom of information. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Let let Leonard hypnotize him with that luxurious mustache. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I also have General Nimoy reporting for duty. Yeah. Riding in on a Jeep. How cliche is that? Well, I, this is the one thing I learned about this episode. Uh, you know, when everybody talks about Area 51 and and uh, Roswell, apparently the epicenter of this is in Dayton, Ohio. Oh, yeah. Which now, which now has answered the 40-year question of what made up, what made the Cincinnati Triangle so scary. <laughs> because, as people know, the Cincinnati Triangle is from Cincinnati to Dayton to Columbus. <laughs> now, I will be in Dayton, Ohio, uh, about uh, eight, nine days from today. Cool. So uh, I may just have a little stop around and get a cup of coffee at uh, at uh, Stage 18 or whatever the hell it's Hanger called. Hangar 18. Yes, Hanger stage, 18, stage yeah. 18. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, oh, and by the way, another... Another suspicious sight at, uh, at 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 the Dayton Air Force Base. There, they have a foreign technology division. Oh, because of course they want to analyze. Um, oh, right, foreign technology, crunchy bars. Because yeah, exactly. Um, no, because if you you know, hey, if a Russian jet. Uh, crashes on your, you know, like on your, uh, on your land, you know, Hey, it belongs to you. You're allowed to tear it apart and, and see what makes it tick. So, you know, 
why wouldn't you have a foreign techno foreign technology division? <sighs> Anyone have anything to add before I continue well, on? Well, I, I already know the recipe to a cr- crunchy bar. It's just, you know, just cook sugar until it becomes liquid and add baking soda. Yes. So, uh, you know, obviously I've been to Dayton. You know, <laughs> I have the foreign intelligence. Steve? Well, at some point I should mention the Majestic 12. I'm not sure when, but... Oliver's <laughs> <laughs> looking at me as if to say, what, what is this? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. You're going to mention well, Capricorn 1 next? Well, well, the Majestic 12, uh, I guess I'll, I'll mention it here. And part of the problem with all of this information that quote-unquote UFO re- researchers get is that sometimes these leaks by the military mm-hmm. are deliberate. Yep. So the the Majestic 12 is allegedly some documents about these 12 scientists. It, it was an organization allegedly set up by Truman. No, oh, um, here we go. Spectre. Okay. After the Roswell, and they were, they were, they were, their goal was to examine the spaceships and the bodies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and somebody released something. Um, there was a memo to Eisenhower from hmm. one of his aides and all this stuff. And, and it, it got leaked out by a guy named uh, Bill Moore. Um, and it turns out – now, so obviously, some people don't believe this to be true. Um, but there is enough evidence that not only were the, were the documents hoaxed, um, but they were deliberately hoaxed by the American military. Hmm. Because there was an, a guy named Paul Benowitz who was flying over Area 51 taking photographs. Hmm. And act, like actual photographs of actual military technology. Mm-hmm. And so Bill Moore gave these documents to Paul Benowitz and Benowitz said, see, I was right, hmm. but it was intended or this, this was allegedly the goal of the American military was to discredit Paul Benowitz so hmm. that when he presented his docu- his photographs of actual real technology, nobody would believe it. Hmm. And it worked. Uh, Paul Benowitz was completely discredited because he championed the Majestic 12 documents. Uh, he was he was basically excommunicated from the UFO community, and he spent mo- the mess- rest of his life in and out of mental hospitals. <laughs> excommunicated from the UFO community. Yes. I did that. That, bel- is the, that is the quote of the season already. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. I now I was seething before to find out that you were getting triple scale, but now yeah. I understand why. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So here here is our next clip. The flying saucer shape was an obsession of aeronautical pioneer Edmund Doak. These rare films show static and dynamic tests of his early models. Doak spent 30 years and a third of a million dollars investigating the problems of circular airfoils. Ironically, just when he seemed on the verge of a breakthrough with his Doak 16 vertical takeoff plane, the Air Force canceled development on his projects. No reason was ever given. Um, my guess is uh, they were, you know, 
allocating money to other projects and his, you know, because when you, first of all, you know, it's not like he didn't work for the Air Force. He worked, he was a subcontractor for the Air Force, which means he has to apply for grant money from the Air Force. So he has to, you know, fill out forms and stuff and give good reason why they should give him more money. And they probably said, you know, well, we haven't seen any results from him yet, so we're just going to cut him off here, you know. And we're we're going to give it to this uh, this little organization over here, you know, and you know we're we're going to put it into the NACA branch, and you know, see what comes of that, you know. Maybe 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 they'll get us to the moon or something. Oh wait, that's right, the NACA did get us to the moon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> The NACA, by the way, is the precursor to NASA. Um, but I'm just speculating there. Um, and they talk about um, like some of these some of these designs that he was coming up with. You know, were you know were not aerodynamic or you know didn't didn't fly well in Earth's atmosphere or something along that line. And I'm reminded of uh, an interview with Story Musgrave, who was a space shuttle commander for many, many years. Uh, most most famous for resurrecting the Hubble Space Telescope. Uh, he described uh, landing the space shuttle as flying a brick to Earth. <laughs> so you know it. You know the space shuttle was not made to be aerodynamic for earth's atmosphere is made to you know survive in space um i don't know why i brought that up i just did steve? okay well then okay. Three, oh sorry steve go no no oh, uh, go ahead was... oliver okay well three words harry or jump jet yeah. uh, <laughs> that's number one um just for those who don't know it was something that the british invented of all <laughs> things um, that didn't involve bad food, um, that uh, was basically a plane that acted like a helicopter, so it did do a vertical takeoff. Right. Um, second of all, <laughs> let's just run the numbers here. Since since they bombarded us with stats to begin with, mm-hmm. Leonard says in his really important voice that they gave this guy 330 grand. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, even back then, Okay. That's what the Department of Defense finds between the couch cushions. Yes. Okay, that's nothing. So it's not, even they thought it was a joke. (laughs) So why are we supposed to take it seriously? That's a good point. If he said 30 million, I'd be impressed. But (laughs) 330,000, I don't think they were really invested in this. Uh, Steve, anything to add? Um, just that some of the footage that they showed of crashing planes there uh, reminded me of the opening of Six Million Dollar Man. <laughs> yeah, it did too. It did me too. Yeah. Yeah. because that opening is is an actual crash yeah. Yeah. Of, a, of a test plane. Yeah. So. yeah. All righty. Next clip. Ray Fowler, one of the most respected civilian UFO investigators, <laughs> is also author of two bestsellers in the field. Because of his stint in the Air Force Security Service, he finds himself still vulnerable to government pressure. I work for a company that uh, designed and built a a major weapon system. And because of 
connections within the company because of connections with Dr. Jalen Hynek, who was an Air Force investigator for, for many years. Uh, I came across information that indicated that this major weapon system, as well as others, had been disrupted by UFOs. And uh, I gave a story to a national newspaper, the Christian Science Monitor, uh, which published this story. Uh, within an hour after this particular paper was out, the Strategic Air Command had called my company. And the following day, the Pentagon called the company and threatened to send a letter of displeasure to the company if uh, something wasn't done about my uh, making these things public. The Christian Science Monitor, by the way, a very well-respected scientific journal. Oh, sorry. No, it isn't. Uh, <laughs> um, anyone? Anyone got anything? Yeah, well, first of all, Ray's under a lot of pressure for showing up with that jacket. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> He's also as uh, exciting as dry white toast, but you know, yes, we won't get I into will, that. I will use this expression for the second time this week. House of Tarlick people, that jacket. <laughs> Holy moly. Uh, raise a kook. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I always, I always, when he said letter of displeasure, <laughs> I, my mind goes, well, what's a letter of pleasure? <laughs> if you can send a letter of displeasure, what exactly is a letter of pleasure? Uh, you, you have to be 18 years or older to actually read one of I those. Think, I think that's a question the show all should take up. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Steve, anything? Well, I'm I'm just surprised that he he's surprised that um, the Pentagon complained that he was writing articles about top secret. Yeah, no kidding. Stuff e- UFOs or not. He's put, he's giving out information about top secret military governmental weapons. Of course, the Pentagon's gonna not gonna be happy about that. Yeah, yeah this is my question. Why is this guy and the guy who flew over Area Fifty One not in jail? <laughs> I have no idea, but Ray has a friend. We'll call him Fritz, and Frint, yeah, Fritz has a fantastic story. And, by the way, here it is in all its glory. Waiting for his friend to arrive, Ray nervously fiddled with his telescopes. Oh, not yet. He remembered his extensive investigations into the man's reliability as a witness. In the case of Fritz, I started in 1973, went all the way back through the various companies he worked for, right back to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, talked to people he worked with, and they all gave him a very clean build of health, a reputable man, honest man, not the type that would uh, fabricate a hoax, and a very efficient uh, engineer manager. As the man arrived, Ray recalled the years his friend had wavered about breaking an oath of secrecy. He recalled their long arguments about a greater public good. Would the years of patient persuasion at last pay off? No, no, they wouldn't. Um, uh, I love the way they try to build up a, you know, the character of a person when all they are is a character. Um, he got a clean bill of health. He's not the type of person who would perpetuate a hoax. Uh, yeah, he he was a quiet guy, kept to himself a lot. Uh, who knew about all the bodies in his basement? Um, yeah, really? <laughs> Does he have three names? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, he only has one. Yeah. Uh, I did cut down this story. I cut out some of uh, Leonard Nimoy's narration, 
And I cut out the brushed aluminum part, uh, which we'll get into, but I cut that part out of the story. So here it comes. As I understand it, Fritz, uh, you were working for the United States Air Force. uh, The story began late one night in 1953 at Frenchman's Flat, Nevada. The man had been working as a consultant on blast effects of atom bombs when he was suddenly ordered to report for a new mission. What happened after that? We were put on a... um a bus, which the windows were all completely covered with curtains and, in some cases, uh, black paper taped to the windows, and uh, were driven for three or four hours, and we're not sure just where we were going. Uh, several of us tried to uh, guess where we might have been. Uh, we, uh, at that time, came to the conclusion it was in the area of Kingman, Arizona. We were told that we had been selected for various technical specialties. I was told that I was to ask any questions that had to do with dynamic loads and nothing more, and I wouldn't be, get any answers to any other questions. It looked like two saucers, I would call it, uh, one on top of the other, inverted, probably 25 to 30 feet in diameter. There was also a tent, which uh, I didn't get to look into, but uh, one fellow whom I did happen to talk with briefly until they told us to stop talking uh, said that he had seen two bodies inside this tent, two alien-looking bodies. It was brown, leathery skin. had a silver, like a cap on, without a bill. Like a skull cap? Yes, like a skull cap. Okay, so there you go. You're intrigued now, and you're, you're, you're totally buying it that, you know, yeah, there were UFOs somewhere in Arizona. Right? Right? Oliver? Kingman, Arizona. Kingman, Arizona, yeah. I'm very familiar with Kingman, Arizona. Believe me. <laughs> Seen any UFOs there? Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be people with a university degree would be hard to find in Kingman, Arizona. <laughs> uh, can I just put this forward? Yes. Is this not the worst secret identity shot ever? <laughs> like, if this guy was narking on the mafia, he would be dead within two minutes. What? I mean, it's they don't do anything with his voice. The silhouette is terrible. It's just, it's just like, why are you even bothering? Oh, I know. Yeah, I cut out this part about brushed aluminum. You know, the the metal looked like brushed aluminum, but there were no scratches on it. Um, well, then it's not brushed. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> even I know that. <laughs> well, I mean, even if you listen to his story. When he says about the alien bodies, mm-hmm. he didn't even see the bodies. No. So so he's not even... He's talking about hearsay. Yeah, exactly. Some guy told him he saw alien-looking bodies. Trust me, I just had that not too long ago. Somebody told me that some guy said something about something. I was like, yeah, my skeptical radar is going off here. So um, even if his story is true, he still has no proof about alien bodies because some guy told him some stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, so in search of goes back to, you know, they go back to Hangar 18 and they say that there's freezing chambers in this building. Well, if you're testing materials, if you're testing, you know, metals and stuff that are, you know, potentially going to go into, uh, you know, the upper atmosphere and stuff. Hey, guess what? It's cold up there. You want to make sure that the metals and stuff and the materials that you're using are going to withstand the temperatures up there while they're down here instead of, you know, 
eh, you know, ris- risking the life of a uh, of a test pilot. So, you That's know, an I, excellent point, Jason. I never even thought of that. I can't. I yeah. How you know, you could tell. You can tell that this show is. It, it was made for a lower, you know, the the lowest common denominator of an audience. You know, people who aren't going to question much. People who don't, you know, who, yeah, they they don't question. They don't, you know, they just take information and say, oh, yeah, that's right. Why are there freezing chambers? They must be hiding bodies. You know, freezers are used for other things. So. That's where they keep the mess hall ice cream. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And by the way, the uh, Fritz here says, uh, he, he said that, you know, many things could be changed if this kind of information were to get out, like culture and religion. It's like, Fritz, put down whatever you're smoking, please. <sighs> Anyone have anything to add before I go to the final clip? No. No. I'm good. (laughs) Here it is, the final clip of this marathon episode. The Roswell case and the strange story of the man known as Fritz are two dramatic examples of close encounters of the fourth kind. Like the 68,000 reports on record of UFO sightings, they exist in a limbo, halfway between science and speculation. Uh, no, really, they're just all speculation. Um, yeah. <laughs> and what's the fourth kind? Uh, you know, I, you know, you know, close encounters of the third kind I am familiar with. But what's the fourth kind? I have trouble keeping my kind straight, yeah. so I don't know what it is. I'll have to look that up, maybe put it in the show notes or not, because I'm lazy. Um, yeah, anyone have anything to add at the end of this here? About the episode? Yeah. No. <laughs> no. How about about the fourth kind? <laughs> no. <laughs> Steve? Um, I'd just like to, uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about this, this gentleman, but I think we should mention him. Um, Robert Friend. Okay. Uh, and he, he was the, uh, the head of, uh, Blue Book, Project Blue Book. Okay. From 1958 to 1963, he's one of the guys who, who says there's no cover-up and UFOs don't exist. <laughs> um, but he was also one of the Tuskegee Airmen. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. He, he, he died. He died at 99. He flew in, during World War II. He flew 142 combat missions over North, uh, North Africa and Europe. He also served in Korea and Vietnam. Damn. Oh wow. Cool. So, um, yeah, any, anyone have anything else to add or, you know, or I do go ahead. It's big news. People. Yes. Kay has been promoted. Oh yeah. She is now the executive producer. Uh Whoa. Okay. So she's got the money. You go girl. Steve, anything to add? No, I'm 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 just I'm just proud of Kay. How she went yep. from being scarred on on air in the first episode <laughs> to the head honcho in season five. She must. I have know. Sued. I'm so proud. Yes. 
Uh, so, Oliver, tell people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Oliver Rockside. Steve. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Doc Pinko. And you can find me at Alien CG. And you can find this podcast at Illuminati Pod. Ladies and gentlemen, hold on. I, I, I see a UFO. Oh, no, sorry. It's just a garbage truck. Uh, <laughs> have a good week, everyone. Doodles, kids. See ya.